You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 54. What a world of contrasts and paradoxes we live in. We live in a time where it could be argued we have lots to celebrate, riches unheard of at any other time through history, information at our fingertips, medicine, and the essentials of life almost literally pour out of a tap. Yet, amongst this apparent wealth, we find ourselves slipping further and further into depression. 35% of Australians report having a significant level of distress in their lives. And, of the age groups, it's the 18 to 25-year-olds who have consistently reported lower levels of well-being than older Australians. And perhaps unsurprisingly, across all age groups, financial issues are rated as the top cause of stress. That's not a very uplifting start to the show, is it? But worry not, it all gets better from here. My guest in this episode is Angela Lockwood, and apart from being an actual ray of sunshine who will lift your spirits immediately, Angela is an occupational therapist who's spent a lot of time thinking about the way we can slow down our personal and professional life so we can re-energize and refocus. Angela is here to help us remember how to switch off from our busy, overstimulated lives so we can prioritize our own health and well-being. So relax, switch off, and enjoy my conversation with Angela Lockwood. Lockwood, welcome to the Team Guru podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love to be um, joining all these other esteemed guests you've had on your podcast before. I feel very honoured. Oh, nice. You've had a look at my list. Have you had a listen to any of them? Yes, I have. Have but Only in snippets, I mm-hmm. have to admit. One thing that I don't know about you, David, but I forget that when things are online, the world can access them. So people learn and, you know, they know a lot more about you than you actually think. <laughs> that is amazing. I well, forget that sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, yeah, every now and then I come across someone who listens to my podcast. It's a bit of a thrill. I always like it. Well, I'm pleased you've listened, Angela. You'll know a little bit about my style. I'm going to hit you with my first question, Angela. Yep. It's 2017 and in Australia and across the developed world, we're more educated than ever. We have access to technology that makes our lives easier our work and our chores more efficient. We have access to information at our fingertips in a way that any generation before us could only dream about. Yet, we're more anxious and stressed than ever. What are we doing wrong? I love that. You've hit, I love your first question is right up my alley, David. Because <laughs> That's the best. Uh, That's all I got. <laughs> That's perfect. Let's just talk about this for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> and you're right because we have got everything at our fingertips and it almost lies opportunity, but there also lies a lot of overwhelm in that as well. Mm. And that's what I'm finding very much, particularly through writing Switch Off, where what I'm finding is people are inundated with so much information. 
that it's almost like we've given ourselves too much now and we don't actually know how to decipher the meaning behind it all. We don't know how to find exactly what it is we're looking for that actually applies to us. So that overwhelm of choice and that overwhelm of information is actually making us feel like we want to step back a little bit from it all and get some meaning rather than just um, you know mass content. You chose to call your book Switch Off, and I've read your book. It's fantastic. But there are so many concepts in your book. You could have called it any number of things. Why did you go with Switch Off? Is that concept that you describe really nicely, is that the most important thing that you've got to say? No, it's not actually. Um, I have a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's funny with Switch Off, there was a couple of working titles behind it. But when I, it was sort of like, and it does sound a little bit, out there, but it actually did just come to me one day and I went, that's it. And I was working with a whole range of titles before sort of I went to the publisher with it. And Switch Off to me is not just about technology. And I'm finding no matter who, you know, interviews me or who I'm speaking to, they're obviously people thinking Switch Off is purely about technology, about Mm. turning off our computers and our devices. It's not that at all. That's an element to it. Switch off is actually our ability to switch off our thinking and to switch off from the craziness of our lives rather than straight technology. And technology is just a component of it. So switch off to me really encompasses, hey, everyone, we are constantly on, you know, all the time. We need to give ourselves that opportunity to step away from it all and just chill out a little bit and slow things down. So it's not just our our devices, our technology that we need to switch off. That phrase encompasses our mind as well. And we all know when we can do it or when we can't, just turn off our brain and and have a rest from thinking and, as you say, being on. Hey, we're going to get to that, Angela. We'll try and take a bit of a linear approach. I'm really interested in hearing you talk about these three overs that you describe, overconnected, overwhelmed, and overstimulated. What are they and how do they play a role in our lives? Yeah, these three O's, it's, um, it was really interesting even in the process of writing the book because obviously as, as people know, we know a lot about a lot of things. And for me, it was about really honing and going, what actually does this mean? And those three O's really summarizes what Switch Off is all about. That overconnectedness is definitely through social media. It's the amount of connections we have with people that's making us feel like we need to stay connected to them all. Where majority of the people we wouldn't actually spend time with in our real non-technological lives. So Mm. they're people who we wouldn't probably hang out with, but (laughs) we're getting an anxiety around the fact that, you know, we're not keeping up with them. And it's really overwhelming. That's funny. You just gave me an image of of someone sitting with their child who's doing something cool and them flicking onto Facebook and giving time to someone on Facebook who they wouldn't normally give time to in real life, yet they're choosing to look at that instead of their child. And that, I bet, happens a thousand times across this country every day. Yes. And I would encourage your listeners right now to look at your social media followers. So on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever it is that you have, and just have a look at those people and go, would I actually spend time with them in real life? <laughs> if you get defriended and, by someone over the next few days, just know that they've heard Angela and they've defriended you because they wouldn't spend time with you in real life. I know, I know. <laughs> and don't take it as a personal attack if yeah. you are because, look, one of the things that I'm really, and I will get back to the other two overs, but that overconnectedness, I think what we're doing now is we're, well, actually, I know that we're doing this is, we're feeling like people are wanting so much from us all the time. Mm. And when we've got all these people vying for our attention, it adds to the other two overs of being really overstimulated and overwhelmed. So what I 
like, and I mean that quite sincerely, is look at the people who you are following on social media and are connected with on social media, and you might need to do a little bit of a cull. And the reason I say that is because you want people in your life who add value to it, not who, you know, make you either feel bad about yourself or even people who you're doing this awful comparison, this continuous comparison with people who are better than you. Yeah, or people who project <laughs> that they are. Yeah. You know, that's even worse. Yeah. You know, like, I'm sorry, but my Instagram post is pretty, that is me. My Instagram feed is me, but there are elements on that that I don't want people seeing me. I don't want them seeing me, you know, looking all lazy and awful in my pajamas, but that is the real, luckily I've been able to have, you know, a life that I do practice what I preach. But a lot of Instagram, Pinterest, the whole range of people's social media, it's not the reality of, of their course. life. They're, so, they're giving um, you the highlights yeah. package, aren't they? <laughs> they are. But I'll tell you what, I would like to see a um, social media, particularly Instagram, of the realities of life constantly. Now, that would be interesting to look at. That would be way um, more would interesting, be, wouldn't it? It would just be so funny. Oh, couldn't you just imagine it? Anyway, I digress through my own humour here. I'm just getting lost in my own little funny land here. <laughs> but over, the other two uh, areas of being really overwhelmed and overstimulated and that overwhelmed side of things is oh, hang on, sorry, Angela, so much to do. Before you move yes. on to overwhelmed, I'm sorry, I should okay. have spoken up before. Hey, look, this overconnected thing, we talk about it a lot and it's such a prevalent topic in our society. And listeners to this podcast have heard me say a number of times that I, I really feel as though with this connectedness, we're at a really immature stage. And and tell me, tell me where I'm going wrong here. I feel as though it's all one way. We're all connected with work. For example, our emails are on our phone. People can call us at any time, day or night on the weekend. And we're giving that to them because we, we just have this, this tendency to want to stay up with what's going on. But it doesn't seem to be going the other way quite as well yet where, okay, yeah, I'm connected all the time. I'll give you some of my time at night and on the weekends, but in return, I think I should be able to go and watch my son play soccer or go and do this when I need to during business hours because it's a, it's a give and take thing. At the moment, at this level of immaturity, I feel that we're at, there's more giving on the part of the individual to the organization rather than a two-way give and take. Unfortunately, that's a big part of life. And I, I say that as a really broad statement that the more you give, the more people will take. Yeah. And when you give to the wrong people constantly, the wrong people will constantly take from you. And let me just sort of really quickly explain what I mean by that. If the workplace knows, if people that you work with or your, even your customers know that you're responding at 8.30 on a Saturday morning, they will expect you to respond at 8.30 yeah. on a Saturday morning. If yeah. you've emailed someone, a work email at 12.30 at night, then that person's going to be contacting you saying, well, how come you haven't responded to my email, you know, at 1.30 in the morning. And it really is important for us to start to look at our own behaviours and think, well, why are people wanting so much from us? And I write this a lot and I'm really, I really believe that if we're going to make changes in our lives, particularly through switching off, we need to take control back. And a big part of that is setting those boundaries mm. and going, you know what, when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at home, I'm at home and it's game on. And that's that whole flicking the switch that I talk about a lot in the book is very much around we can't always be switched off and chilled out and relaxed mm. and, you know, in holiday mode. Yeah. But we also can't be constantly switched on and yeah. having everyone contact us 24-7. There needs to be an ability to move between the two 
because we've got to get work done, but we also need to have a life outside of work. And a lot of that is around creating boundaries. So if you don't want people to contact you after hours, don't contact people after hours yourself. Yeah, I like that. That's really, that's really simple. Just take control back. If you don't want to answer yeah. emails at, at 7.30 at night, don't ever do it. And don't send emails to other people. Set some boundaries that go both ways. I really like that. That will help you flick the switch. Now, I'm sorry I stopped you when you moved on to Overwhelm before, so take it away. No, I love it. I love these love these podcasts where you really get to the meat of things. They're not just sort of standard questions that, you know, you gloss over. It's actually getting to meet. So hopefully your listeners are getting a lot of value from it. Yes. Um, you well, you were telling okay. me before we hit record that you've been doing a lot of radio interviews lately and you get three minutes to uh, tell them how awesome your book is and you've got to be super sharp. But I guess you also are going to be an inch thick too. Yeah, and people want really have these pressing questions that they want a response to, but people don't want, you know, an hour's long worth of why it should happen and how it should happen. And that's, I guess, a part of this constant connectedness and this overwhelm of information we have. There is so much information. Just get to the point and tell me how it applies to me. And, you know, just tell me, I want to know how I can actually integrate this into my life. And I know slightly digress again, but the way when, when your listeners actually read Switch Off, it's a book where now that you're having listened to how I speak, I've written it in that same way. Yeah, that's true. That I, it's um, people, whether or not it's creepy or not, people say that it feels like I'm reading it to them. <laughs> not creepy at all. Or not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people need to know how does this apply into my real world? Mm. You know, it's fine to have all these strategies and tips and techniques, but if we can't actually say, right, well, I am busy, I am tired, I'm feeling way overconnected, overstimulated and overwhelmed. How in the world do I do this when I've got, you know, three children, six children, a husband, a wife, you know, all these other competing demands tell me how I can do it. And that's why Switch Off is a really practical book, exactly written through the frame of this is how you do it. And so that whole sense of overwhelm ties into what we were just talking about, that because there is so much we're cramming into our lives, there are so many things to do. What often happens is, is we don't know what to do with it all. So there's a couple of things we do. We either don't make any changes at all. We just sit and just keep going the way that we go. And that's when we get really burnt out. Otherwise, what we do is when we're so overwhelmed, we have a huge meltdown and we just go, this is all a bit too much and I'm sick and I'm just going to have to crash and burn right now. And again, you can hear the two, whether or not, you know, we keep going and push on or whether we give up. Unfortunately, the outcome is often similar. We get sick mentally or physically and it's not a great outcome. So that sort of feeling very overwhelmed is, is around choice, but it's also about the amount of stuff we're trying to cram into our day. So we're talking through the three O's. We started with overconnected. We're talking about overwhelmed and overstimulated we'll get to next. But overwhelmed, you talk about people who will either just keep doing what they're doing and feeling overwhelmed and too much and not setting boundaries and forgetting to flick the switch or people who will just crash and burn and have a little meltdown or, or a breakdown. Why are they the two options? Are we not very good as, is it human beings or is it modern human beings or is it Western world? Are we not very good at gauging where we are emotionally? I think we're getting better. I will say that we are getting better. We're very much more aware that our, our bodies and our minds are so deeply connected that what happens in our body is, you know, often manifests in the mind and vice versa. We are becoming more aware of it. 
particularly when we see a lot of wellness holidays and people going on retreats increasing each year. You know, the wellness industry is a billion, you know, multi-billion dollar industry Isn't it? because people are, it's huge. Um, luckily, you know, luckily. It's <laughs> Lucky for you. The, yeah, it is in the space that I'm in, <laughs> but what I don't want to see is return customers, right? I want yeah. to see people who are, uh, you know, solving solving the things that are happening in their lives and can continue to do that, not just going, you know, on escapes, which is unfortunately sometimes what we do is we escape our reality, we come back and we realise it's all still there and nothing's changed. But that's a whole nother conversation. But what I really see overwhelm, that sort of overwhelm sense is comes down to is our inability to prioritise what's important. So I'm going to say that again. So the first one around being overconnected is really around not being able to set boundaries strong mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. The second one about being over, overwhelmed is around not being clear around our priorities. So yeah, what are the right. things that are really important to do and what's the stuff, other stuff we can get rid of? What's the other stuff that we don't need to be focusing our attention on? And that's all those little nitty gritty things that you know we often just mess around with when we're bored. That's great advice. How can I really truly work out what lies at the heart of David Frizzell's priorities? How can I peel back the layers of what's vying for my attention and work out what truly is what I care about? Look, some people will talk about looking at your values and some people will talk about, you know, going sort of more self-exploration. Mm-hmm. Probably the easy way that I would say that everyone can do, um, no matter how much time you have or where you are, is you actually just slow down. And what I mean by that is when you are feeling like you're in this sense of overwhelm, it needs to be your cue. So what I mean by this, sorry, is that sense of overwhelm is that your chest is tight, mm-hmm. your breath's short, you're holding, you sometimes you're holding your breath, your shoulders are up, you're getting tension in the back of your eyes, in your head. You can feel when you're getting too much. You just, you just feel like you do want to escape. And it's that moment where you're starting to feel those physical triggers and those sort of sometimes emotional triggers when you actually need to take a step back from everything. By doing that, what you're doing is you're not getting caught up in sort of this whirlwind of stuff that's going on for you. And when you take a step back and you sort of slow it down a little bit, what you're doing is you're getting perspective on what actually is happening in your life. And what when you do that, you actually literally look at your to-do list mm-hmm. And when you can take a step back from it and look at it almost like an overarching sort of way, you'll see the things that are really important will actually jump out at you. But what we try to do too often is we get bogged down in, oh, my gosh, I've got 50 things to do and how am I ever going to do that? And that all just keeps ruminating. But when you can actually take a big, deep breath, step back and go, right, what is going on? What is my priority right now? The answers often jump out at you pretty clearly. That's great advice. It makes sense rationally, but if I'm in that state of overwhelm where I can't take a deep breath, my chest feels tight, and I'm just highly anxious, the ability to to even remember to slow down, to remember to try and slow down, let alone to actually be able to slow down and get some perspective, that's a real challenge. It is, and it takes practice. Yeah. So it's not like one day you go, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed and, you know, (laughs) let's just take a breath and life's good. It's a good place to start. And I talk a lot about habits around, we need to really create healthy habits. And I even go into a lot more detail in the book around creating a habitat for health. So an environment that supports all of this and how do you do that? But exactly when you are in this constant spiral of overwhelm, knowing how to do it 
and having even sometimes the courage to do it can feel like it adds to the overwhelm, like it's another thing to do. So what I do encourage people to do is to listen to what other people are telling you. (laughs) Sometimes your partner is telling you you need to slow down. Sometimes your employees are going, man, like you're looking stressed or you're looking tired or, you know, it's these sort of cues that we really do need to start to listen to. Mm. And when we can do that, we don't often have to make the decision ourselves. Unfortunately, when um, when we stop listening to people and we don't take the time to listen to what's going on, sickness does set in and our bodies force us to take that step back and get perspective. But what I encourage people to do, don't wait till you get sick, don't wait till you get burnt out, add these little tiny habits into your day and you'll find it'll get easier over time and it gets easier quickly. And listen to the people around you. I love the little story you tell. Well, it's, it's almost just an anecdote in your book. Uh, how often do we rush to get everything done before we've got holidays planned? We get everything done at work. We literally do the two weeks we're away in that last week before we head off. We're completely burnt out. Then we get on our holiday and on the first day we start to feel a tickle in the back of our throat that won't go away. And by the second day, we're full-blown sick because for the first time in a long time, we've actually slowed down, but I've buried ourselves to get there. We have, and I have, I'm going to put my hand up and say, this has happened to me before as well. And it was, it's interesting. And it happened to me when we were going on a skiing trip to New Zealand, it was sort of taking the kids. It was this amazing holiday that we went, right, this is going to be wonderful. And you Um, ruined it by getting sick. I totally ruined it. And I got way too sick and it was awful. And I have to say, and this is, I guess, through writing switch off is yes, it's from my professional background through the mentoring I do with people. It's, you know, through research of the book, but it also has a lot of personal experience that's interwoven into the Mm. stories of this book. I too have lived a very fast paced life and I too have done a lot in my life that, you know, has been wonderful, but sometimes it's my health has taken its toll and my emotional health as well as my physical health. So, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not standing on on the pulpit here and you know, preaching things that I don't understand. And I, I have done this many of times myself where, you know, you just push yourself hoping for that break. But if you actually just slow down, your holiday is exactly what it's designed for and that's to re-energize you. But unfortunately what happens is that we push ourselves so much right up to the holiday that it's actually around just resting. And that resting phase is usually just trying to overcome sickness rather than finding that energy and getting having fun again. And what happens is, is when we return to work, we're tired because we're just, you know, recovered from sickness rather than going back to work, re-energized with the energy to get us through. It's interesting you talk about the way you've written the book, the stories about yourself that you have, as you say, woven into the, the facts that you share are really interesting. They're really believable, but they sort of they sit in contrast to the, the way that you've written the book because you've written in such a chirpy, happy, pleasant manner that it's hard to believe that this person narrating has had a bad day in her life, except for the <laughs> stories that you tell, because it really is a chirpy book. Well, I'm good because I think there's too much doom and gloom in the world. <laughs> I have always consciously surrounded myself and as I like to call it, in my happy bubble. Yep. It doesn't mean that I don't acknowledge the heartache and I haven't experienced it myself, which I have. There's a lot of unhappiness in the world and I just don't feel that my place in the world is to support that unhappiness. What I want to do is help people 
and give people the tools to get out of those states so that they can, you know, truly live a life they choose. And I Switch Off is actually my second book. So the mm. first book I wrote was called The Power of Conscious Choice. And yeah. it's very much, and I go a lot more into my background and probably into a little bit of my doom and gloom story in that. But what I, I really have always made that conscious decision in my own life to say, well, what is what is my lot in life? And my lot in life is to give, you know, people that ray of hope so that they don't have to always be thinking that life's too hard and, you know, too overwhelming. Hey, you know, you remind me of a, a long time ago, I read that book, The Fish Omnibus. It's about organizational culture set in a, in a fish yes. market. And a great book, obviously. I'm not, the, I'm not Robinson Crusoe there to love that book. It's very popular, bestseller. But I, I always remember that line that you choose your own attitude. And that just really resonates with me. It, it helps me a lot to keep myself on track. There's a lot of sayings around that. A lot of philosophers have hit that point. But for some reason, those words stand out to me. You choose your own attitude. We really do decide the way other things affect our mood. But a lot of people seem to forget that as if they're they're a passive victim in what's going on around them rather than that person that takes responsibility for their own emotions. And in your book, you describe it as that internal locus of control. Mm, and I am such a strong believer in the way that you live your life is really based on the choices that you make. Yeah. And, you know, I also agree that a lot of people have really tough lives and there's a lot of people who have had really tough lives that have gone on to really live amazing, inspirational lives. And so there's always stories of people who have gone on despite, you know, horrible situations physically, emotionally, psychologically, you know, just a whole, the whole kit and caboodle that they've had this awful, awful life that they could have given up, but they didn't. And so I really do see it. And that's probably what fascinates me. Um, my background is an occupational therapist. And so I've always been able to work with people who have had challenges in their life and who have made those conscious decisions every day to pick themselves up mm. and to try to do the best with what they have. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, whether or not it's something in my DNA, I'm pretty sure it was. I remember my parents always sort of also sharing this sort of thinking, but I really do believe my training as an occupational therapist and just being able to see day in, day out, these amazing people who are going through things you'd never wish on your enemy, still pick themselves up and still get on no matter what. And I think we all have a lot to learn from people who have had that hardship. And it's sort of, you know, sometimes I think, People who don't have anything to worry about really need to count their blessings. You say something there that, that's very wise, yet it's not recent thinking. The idea that our life is about the choices that we make, I, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I know Aristotle said something about we are the sum total of our choices, and that was around about 2,000 years ago. So it's amazing how these brilliant ideas that we apply in our life now, when you talk about technology, they're really old ideas. They're at the core of humanity. They absolutely are. And slowing down is not a new age concept. No. And this, and uh, you know, I make no bones about it that what I'm talking about is not rocket science. What I'm talking about is a reminder to people that this stuff has been practiced for centuries. The whole concept of being able to sit and notice. And I talk mm. about Aboriginal culture, that we learn so much from our environments. Our Aboriginal cultures learn so much from sitting and watching and learning. They didn't have Google to teach them about the world. What they've done is they've learned through passing on stories and through 
really being in tune with what's happening within them and with what's happening around them. And that's been fine-tuned for centuries. So this stuff of slowing down and really taking a step back and looking at what's happening in your life is never been more important than what it is today but it's definitely not new age thinking. It is not. It's not new. It's not rocket science, but it is, as you say, remembering to remember. And and the value of a book like yours is articulating it so beautifully and giving us some really key things to remember at those times in our life when we need them most. Angela, we're talking through the three O's. We've talked about overconnected. That's where we need to set boundaries in our life. We've talked about being overwhelmed. That's where we need to remember when it's at our hardest to slow down. And now let's talk about overstimulated. What's that one all about? Yeah, this is the one that people like to know because I think sometimes they go, oh, overstimulated, that sounds interesting. That sounds good. <laughs> it does sound good, but I'm sorry, it's not it's what not. most people think. Yeah. Um, is it, is it like is when that... my three-year-old goes to Coles? Is that overstimulated? It is totally overstimulated. <laughs> and a three-year-old doesn't have to go to Coles to get overstimulated. Um, <laughs> there's myself that'll go to Bunnings, and I talk about this in yeah, the book. Yeah, you know, it's it's that moment where I never used to tell anybody about my, I always say my little special quality of getting overwhelmed in shopping centres. And it wasn't until I started to get the courage to tell people about my dislike for shopping and being a female and, you know, it doesn't like, how do you not like shopping? I can't stand shopping. And wow. it's been refined over time. Why? And I get it. It's because it's too much information for me to cope with. So there's too many things to look at. There's too many people. There's too much music. There's just too much stuff that I find it in those environments personally to be able to focus. And I find it really hard to make good decisions in those environments. And it's not just me that experiences this. Luckily, the more I tell people, the more they go, yes, I get it. I hate being in a crowded bus or yes, I get it. When I'm in a pub, I like to sit in the corner away from everybody. There's all these great stories, but it also does come um, embedded in science. So we do have these sensory thresholds in our body um, where we almost get to a point of no return. So some of us have low thresholds, some of us have high thresholds, and I've been able to learn this a lot through my work as an occupational therapist with children who have sensory processing disorder, so mm-hmm. sensory SPD. processing problems. Yeah, yeah, so they have you know, they, their bodies or their brains find it difficult or challenging to sort of process information that comes through their senses. Mm-hmm. And so that's where my fascination with it started was through my work with children. And then I just realized the more I worked with children alongside of adults, children really, their needs were not that dissimilar to the needs of adults. And we too, as adults, get really overstimulated by different environments. And One of the challenges now when you look at open planned workplaces is some people thrive in those environments, other people find it way too overwhelming, they can't concentrate, and so they they sort of wish for that cubicle workplace again. So we all have, there's no perfect profile, it's just, you know, the way that we're all designed, but what we need to do is sort of allow ourselves and understand ourselves and our sensory tolerances and adjust our lifestyle a little bit to suit that or at least to, you know, cope. It's interesting you talk about the cubicle or the open plan workplace. That's just one more example in our world where we need to be nuanced rather than black and white. You can make a case for cubes. You can make a case for open plan. But the the fact is that cubicles will suit some people some of the time and open plan will, will suit other people 
other times. So we just need to be a bit more mindful about individuals and what their needs are and as, you know, up against what they're doing today and how they're feeling today. So I'm really onto this idea of, of the world not being black and white in many things at all, but nuance is the name of the game. Hey, when I read your book about SPD and the sensory processing disorder, you sent my thoughts down a whole path. I was a teacher uh, for the first 12 or 13 years of my career. And and I remember, especially towards the end of that career, my classroom would be filled with people like you, occupational therapists, coming and working with kids about sensory overload and, and how they're coping with their sensory, their, their SPD. And that's all very, very terrific. But I don't remember that when I was a kid. So my point is, have we got a generation now who are growing up having been diagnosed and treated and been given strategies to deal with this, whereas people my age may have gone through this themselves and survived school and the beginning of their career and never have really understood that they might have a processing disorder when it comes to overstimulation? Absolutely. I'm gonna, there was a lot of questions in there and I love it because this is... Yeah, children are very, working with children is probably my deep passion. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I work, one of my programs that I actually do work in schools, it's called the Healthy Me, Healthy Us program. And the program that um, it is the one one that I developed, that it's actually working with the teachers, the parents and the school community, as well as the students. So what the whole Healthy Me, Healthy Us program is trying to highlight and educate that we all have our own special needs. Right. We all have our own funny ways that we do things. We all have our own, you know, I guess sensory preferences. Mm-hmm. We all have our own behavioural challenges. What we've done as adults is we've been able to fine-tune them along the way. So we have been able to adapt our skills along the way, but the environment for what we grew up in is a whole different world to what kids are coming into now. Yeah. You know, it's a whole different world. And one of the challenges, I have such a deep respect for teachers that, you know, what teachers are having to deal with now, I just, yeah, just so much respect because mm, me too. what we're fine, <laughs> it's just, that's all I can say. I just think they've just got so much respect for them because now there's a push around individual learning styles. You know, long gone are the classrooms of sitting in the, the chair and just listening to information verbatim children's attention spans are less now because they're constantly being stimulated through their devices you know one of the things I often talk to you know the teachers and parents about is parent teachers will say the child just can't sit still long enough in class you know they just they aren't paying attention and when we ask get the parents to come into the school and have a chat to them they say oh they can sit there watching tv for hours and what's happening is we're not realizing that children on devices and TVs are being constantly stimulated. There is, it's not chill out time, it's constant stimulation of this fun field. And when yeah. they go into a classroom, it's not a constant stimulation, fun field environment. It's an environment where we're learning and boring. we're challenging. So, yeah, well, sometimes, <laughs> you know, it, it could be boring, yeah. right? Yeah, but it's not as cool as an I'm, iPad, for example. It's not. It's not. And let's face it, educational games, no matter how much mm-hmm. you know, kids, we, uh, we try to yeah. hide it, they yeah. are still educational games. Yeah. So, look, the short answer to your question was we're living in a very different world yeah. to what we grew up in. The students that are coming through, I'm even amazed at what I've seen different over the last five years in the profiles of children that are coming through. Are they needing to be diagnosed? No, I don't think so. There are some very small 
amount of children that do need to be diagnosed for their particular reason. But there's a lot of children, particularly these kids that people are saying they can't sit still, you know, there's a lot. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Um, Angela, I've been out of the education game for seven years. And I imagine if I was to go back tomorrow, which I won't be doing, I'd be amazed as, as the difference in the kids today than even just seven years ago when I last taught. And I'm, a, I'm an occupational therapist and I was, uh, you know, obviously work closely with speech pathologists and I am amazed at the amount of children that are coming through or the differences, the variances in children's communication abilities. So you have some children that come in who are so articulate and just, you know, you can have a conversation with them, you know, coming into kindy and then there's other children that you can't understand. And I look at speech pathologists and I think they have their work cut out as well because when you really look at it, social communication and the ability to socially interact with people is still so important. It doesn't matter if we're a technologically based society. You know, we wouldn't be able to do this if I can, you and I can communicate effectively. Yeah. So we're using technology as a platform, but we still need to be able to socially communicate. So I do see there's a lot of changes. Some of them are quite concerning of children that are coming through. And I always go back to parents, and I'm a parent. We need to look at our own behaviours, and we need to start to think about what are our behaviours teaching our children. And are we modelling the best behaviours for our children to grow up and be a resilient in what's going to be a very fast-changing society? Mm, you're and right. sometimes I think the way that we as adults are showing children how to behave in society, it's and we're thinking why are our children turning up, you know, not being able to talk to us? Why don't they want to ever, you know, come outside and play? Mm. And I think sometimes we need to follow our own advice. I agree completely. Hey, look, I... I try and be very conscious of it. My wife and I help each other out with that. We've obviously busy, we've got things to do, but we need to constantly be mindful about how much we're on our phone and on our iPad. I feel very smug sometimes. We we do a lot of, you know, activities, soccer and swimming and this and that with our kids. And I feel smug because I never will have my phone out when I'm watching my boy do something, whether he's at the park or at his swimming lesson. And so many other parents will sit there on their phone while their kid is doing something really tremendous. So I feel smug yeah. about that. And I, I, I've had a win there. It's, it's a habit of mine not to do that. But I, I think I can improve a lot because I know when we're just lazing around the house, it, I'll whip my phone out of my pocket dozens of times a day just to have a look. And I know that my boys are learning from that. They're working out that that's the way you operate in the world. You were just always connected. Mm, and David, you just hit such an important point is that sort of modeling of our behavior to our children. They are watching us. Mm. They listen to us, but they watch us more. Mm. And making those little, those little tiny habits, and you should give yourself a pat on the back for when you're watching, you know, your children play their sport, that you're not on your phone. And it is making, you even said it yourself, that it's making those little habits. It's like a little habit. And that's exactly my point with switch off is just create these habits. It's not about being perfect 100% of the time. What it is, is about going, what is that one thing that's really starting to take effect on my family or even on yourself, maybe on your relationship and go, what changes can I make in that area that could have a positive effect? And so it might be before you're going to bed at night, that you roll over and you look at your partner and you're both sitting, one's on an iPad, one's watching TV or one's on a um, you know, phone and the other one's on the iPad. 
and just sit there and think, what would happen if we actually both turn these off right now? And I'll guarantee you, for most people, I know what would happen. You know, and that's what. <laughs> and I would that's go to sleep. What, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Get half an hour extra sleep. <laughs> Which is awesome <laughs> in itself, right? Because that's what bedrooms are designed for, yeah. for two things, you know, two things. So it's just what, and then this is, you know, David, in, in all of our conversation, this is what I want listeners to think about is slow down long enough so that you can notice what is going on in your life. Notice your own habits and start to go, which part of these things are having a negative effect on my life? And they're the things that you change because I'll guarantee you there's a whole range of stuff you're doing amazingly. There are so many fantastic things you're doing for yourself, you're doing for your family, keep doing those. But there'll be things that you know in the back of your mind, I need to slow down on this or I need to change it. Just do those. Work on those. Keep doing those amazing things that you're doing. But when it comes to that being overconnected, overwhelmed and overstimulated, I would encourage you to slow down long enough to see well, what needs to actually change and just make those changes. It can be that easy. I was just about to ask you for that one beautiful takeaway for our listeners, but then you delivered. You delivered on it. If we're feeling overconnected, overwhelmed or overstimulated, the number one piece of advice from Angela Lockwood, the switch-off guru, is just to slow down long enough to notice the habits of your life. I think that sounds pretty good to me. Thanks, David. That's what you said. I'm just giving you your own <laughs> words back. Awesome. <laughs> Angela, I've really enjoyed our chat, but you're not off the hook yet. I always end by asking the same four questions of my guests. Are you ready? Absolutely. Right. Bring it on. Question number one, and this is partly an intelligence test of my, of my guests oh, to see if they can answer the questions correctly. So question number one, tell me the Saturday night you would most look forward to a big party with lots of people you know or an intimate dinner with your closest friends? Intimate dinner with closest friends. You passed the test as well because you just gave me one because I said that you would most look forward to. So many of my guests give me a third option and I have to say no, no, oh, no. Really? Yeah, it's one or the other. Which one would you most look forward to? All right, awesome. An <laughs> intimate dinner with your closest friends. What about this one? Are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail or caught daydreaming? Bogged down in the detail. Really? Okay, that's good. You know, that's good because you admitted it. A lot of us are more <laughs> likely to get bogged down in the detail, but most people like to think of them as a themselves as a big picture daydreamer. So very few oh, people actually. No, David, I could stare out of a window, but I'll quickly go. Now I need to put that in play. I need to put that in action. That was a great daydream. Now what can I do about <laughs> uh, it? Awesome. <laughs> All right, my penultimate question. Do you make decisions based on emotion or are you a slave to rational thought? Okay, I wrote a book about how to simplify decision-making, so I'm going to have to go with the third option here oh. because I do both. <laughs> okay, and right, come explain. On, it's, it, it's a, yeah, I do a combination of rational and emotion and mm. I have to say that because I wrote a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of that book again? The power of conscious choice. Good. Okay. And it's conscious about how, choice. How to make decisions about the things that matter. Awesome. It's, I've had a number of guests on the show tell me that we, especially when we're buying, we make decisions based on emotion, but then we try and justify it later rationally. Yes. I often I sit with my decision mm -hmm. and I rationalize it and I sit and think, well, what do I actually feel about it? So I definitely do do a mix of the two. All right. Very last question. You're going on a road trip. Do you like to book the hotels in advance, plan the route, know exactly where you're going, or do you just get in the car and drive? 
the first one for sure. Oh, really? I need to know the plan, the time, everything. Yeah. But if my husband goes, let's go somewhere, I'm just like, you go, I'm with you. Take me wherever you want. But if it's up to me, I'll go to the detail. <laughs> awesome. Angela Lockwood, I have really enjoyed our chat. Thanks for joining me. David, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. And that was Angela Lockwood. Like I said, what a ray of sunshine she is. I mentioned in the interview that it was hard to imagine her having a stressed out breakdown in the style that she describes in her book. But she insists that it's true. She does, or she did at least, until she began to focus her energy on recognizing when it's time to switch off and to understand effective ways of doing it. I love the language she used. Flick the switch. It works on a symbolic level, but of course, a practical one too. How much better off would we all be if we were more aware and more disciplined about the amount of time we spend connected? Phones, iPads, TVs. It's awful to think of all the wonderful things we are, collectively, as a society, missing out on. Things that are happening right in front of us. Things that we miss because our screen is just so mesmerising. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Angela on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it on the Team Guru website. That's teams with an S dot guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn. And join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.